Hey, one of my uh, favorite shows is a show called Mythbusters. How many of you have ever seen an episode of Mythbusters? Yeah. You actually know it's an Australian production, by the way. Some of you, little, yeah, I'll walk you back in time. It's actually the same uh, production company that uh, produced the show Beyond 2000, if anyone remembers that show. Yeah, yeah. And, and, okay, not that this is the main point of this morning's message, that crew presented it to, uh, I, I will allow them to remain nameless, but a, an Australian television network who rejected the idea for Mythbusters, saying it would never be popular. Now, Mythbusters is syndicated right throughout Western world. You can even watch it on Qantas flights. Mythbusters, if you haven't ever seen a, a show of Mythbusters, it's a very, very simple concept where, where a crew, oh, there's actually five of them typically, uh, sort of the main, the main stars, they'll take these, these urban myths, these either things from Hollywood movies or things that people have emailed in, hey, did you hear about this? Or these days there's a lot of stuff that stunts that people do on YouTube and, uh, and it's like you're watching me think, yeah, I'm not sure, they, you know, maybe there's a bit of trick, trick camera work there. So they'll test the myth. And uh, put it through its paces, you know, with their, their, their experimentation. Very, very clever. Very resourceful uh, show. Very, the guys are geniuses at what they do. And out of the, the test of the veracity of, of the myth, whatever the myth happens to be, they'll draw, either, they'll draw three conclusions. They'll either say the myth is busted, the myth, myth is plausible, or the myth is confirmed. Now, a couple of the myths that they've busted, declared as busted. Um, one is that it's not true, though I do still struggle to believe this, it's not true that if you leave a tooth in a glass of Coke overnight, it, it will dissolve. That is busted. I still struggle to believe that one. They've uh, busted the myth, the myth that yours and my mother's tormented us with growing up, that it's not safe to swim within 30 minutes of eating. That is absolutely not true, okay? Don't tell your kids that, and I won't either, but just to say, myth busters, bust it. Then there's a few myths that, that I was surprised that they actually confirmed, as true. One of them is you can actually slap sense into somebody. That's helpful to know, isn't it? Yeah, you can take that away with you and play with that all week long. They, they proved that nervousness can actually cause cold feet. Regan watched that episode. And... And, welcome Vicky, and Vicky's just walked back from Sydney. Neil took the flight. Yeah, well done. She was following Shane Crawford across. He had a push bike. And they proved, they confirmed that elephants are in fact afraid of mice. Hey, look, they, not only is that on the internet, which makes it true, but Mythbusters prove it's true. So don't you be, oh, come on, come on with me. You, you be, come on, come on, the tooth in the Coke thing. But no, elephants, they're petrified of mice. Confirmed. But I, I, I've been wondering during the week, thinking about this, what if Mythbusters had the opportunity to, to run the experiment, the, 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 the various experiment, the way they... Oh, 
what would they do with what has ultimately been the biggest claim, the biggest myth in history? And it's what I said earlier, the, the, the claim that God himself sent his son to earth. Already it's a pretty spectacular, difficult to believe notion. That, that, that he sent his son and his son was born to a virgin birth. His son performed miracles. His son was crucified a cruel death on a cross. And his son, three days later, rose from the dead. And there was eyewitnesses, not only to an empty tomb, but to a risen Christ, a risen Jesus. I wonder if someone had written into Mythbusters and told them of this story, with, with those being the bullet points. I wonder how they would have run their tests on that and, and whether, whether they would have actually come away with, is that confirmed is that plausible or is that busted did that really happen well if they're asking the question they're not the first one here's one of the accounts of around that time of jesus and the empty tomb luke recorded it like this luke was a doctor not an idiot very articulate very intelligent and this is how he recorded. Remember, we're talking about eyewitness accounts here, not, not Aesop's fables. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they'd prepared and went to the tomb. And that's just a natural thing. They were going to you know, embalm the body. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, which was unusual. But when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, which is wondering, where's the body? Did someone roll the stone away and steal the body? They, they would have, in, a, in an instant, because they knew the burial practices of the day. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. Matthew records that they, these men were angels. And one angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. There's a little lesson there for all of us right there. Jesus does what he says he's going to do. And as I said earlier, if Jesus hasn't risen we are all simply wasting our time we're wasting our time we're wasting our money we're just playing church if jesus hasn't risen none of this actually makes any sense whatsoever it makes no sense whatsoever yeah yeah sure we might come away feeling a little better we might come away you know being slightly better people but you know what jesus didn't come to make bad people good jesus came to overcome our sin and our death so that we could be reconciled in a relationship with the Father. But if he didn't rise from the dead, nothing, none of this makes sense. But these aren't once upon a time 
stories. These aren't some handed down verbal narratives. These, like Luke, like Matthew, these were actually eyewitness accounts. And what's fascinating to me, even today, 2,000 years after this happened, what's fascinating to me is, is people put a whole lot of faith in eyewitness accounts for all sorts of things that we've not personally seen or experienced ourselves, but we believe them. We don't question them for a second, right? Were you there? Were you there? Any one of you? Were you there when the, the nuclear bomb was dropped on Hiroshima to end the Second World War? Was any of you there? I wasn't there. Do you, do you, does any of you believe that it actually happened though? Why? Because eyewitnesses have told us that it actually happened. And we don't question it. Now, yeah, you can talk about this, this footage. All right, well, let's, let's wind it back even further. Today is Bastille Day, French, French Independence Day. And uh, one of the, the epic kind of milestones in French Independence Day was Marie Antoinette, having said to the peasants, let them eat cake, had her head chopped off. What? So, was any of you there when that happened in the 1800s? But do you believe it happened? Yeah, why? Because eyewitness accounts, people wrote about it in history books. You know what? This is, these accounts are actually written by eyewitnesses as historical... Re- They're not just history books. I don't want to dumb the Bible down and, and think that, that God's word is just a history book, but it is a history book. It's actual records. See, the church was pioneered by people who weren't so much fueled by what they believed. They were actually fueled by what they'd seen. They'd seen Jesus crucified. They'd seen him be put in a tomb. They'd seen that tomb have a stone put in front of it. And and 12 uh, Roman uh, soldiers, a guard, put in front of that. And if, if anybody got in or out of that tomb those 12 Roman soldiers would have paid for it for, for failing on their duties with their lives. They were pretty invested in this tomb staying safe and secure. And yet, three days later, two of Jesus' followers found an empty tomb. They weren't fueled by what they believed. They were fueled by something even more special, by what they'd seen. It wasn't the teaching of Jesus alone that sent his followers into the streets. It was his resurrection. One of the things that differentiates Christianity from all of the other world religions is these people who pioneered the early church, they weren't following an abstract philosophy. They weren't even following a great leader though Jesus was a great leader, but they weren't merely following a great leader. They were eyewitnesses of an event, the resurrection of Jesus. And you and I, every one of us, need to answer the question, what are we going to do with that resurrection? What is that going to mean for us? How is that going to impact our everyday lives? It's not an abstract historical event. It's not something that we'll just see uh, on the Discovery Channel. By the way, the Bible uh, miniseries starts Tuesday night at 9 o'clock. Highly recommend it. But again, that's not just meant to be a, a documentary, you know, uh, or mockumentary, if you like. 
It's talking about stuff that happened. The question, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Now, before I get into talking about believers, let me, uh, talking about doubt, our series is called Doubt is Anonymous. Let me just kind of underscore three types of believers. Because it's not enough to just to say, I'm a believer, okay? Because there's actually different, different levels, different categories of believers, people at a different stage of, of the journey. The initial stage, and, and, I, and I would hope for these people, the journey will continue. But someone can be a believer, but we might categorize them as a casual believer. There's a book recently written about people that would fall into this category. The book's called Practical Atheists. And people say they believe in God, but that belief permeates no area of their lives whatsoever. Uh, believe in God, but you might as well not. It, it, it makes absolutely no difference to you. That, that would be what we might call a casual believer. Then there's a, a next step of the journey uh, to belief, a convenient believer. Someone, I would say, want, someone who wants all of the benefits of believing in God, but none of the cost. You know, I'll follow God, but I'll do it on my terms. I'll follow God when it suits me. I remember uh, a number of years ago, um, I had to travel from here, Perth, little isolated Perth to Atlanta in Georgia in, uh, in the US. And I had to take one of my staff with me on this particular trip. Now, I'd made that trip many times before. And at, at that point in, in, my, uh, in my ministry uh, role, I was traveling about six months of the year. And uh, so I was flying a lot and was kind of used to it. And I took this staff member of mine, a uh, guy named Marcus, uh, on this trip. And it was his first time uh, to the US. And so we, and it was his birthday. The day we were flying out was his birthday. Now, the great thing about flying from Perth to the US, well, it's not really great. It is, but if, if it's your birthday, the great thing is your birthday actually lasts 36 hours because you cross the date line. So Marcus and I, you know, we committed that we were going to celebrate because if you're going to fly 36 hours in economy, you, you, you learn ways to make the most of it, okay? Let me just say that. It's not glamorous, but you learn ways to make the most of it. Now, I'd, by that stage, I'd been ratcheted up by Qantas, and I was a, a frequent flyer, blah, 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 and Qantas Club, and blah, blah, blah. And so uh, so we got to fly, you know, Perth to Sydney, and, and we got to go, and you transit, and you go into the Sydney Qantas International Qantas Club, and it's, it's pretty plush. It's really nice. Uh, and everything's there, and you just, you know, help yourself. And that was cool. And I think we had like a five-hour layover, but it was so nice that you wish it was longer. Like, oh, only five hours, drats. Not going to be able to get do everything that's here to do, you know. Um, and I remember sitting there once watching the, the Super Bowl on this screen that's like four times bigger than this, and I was the only person there. It was awesome. And uh, so we did that, and we celebrated his birthday some more. And then we, when we had the long haul to L.A., and, uh, you know, uh, I, I, got, I, was, I was flying economy, but because I flew a lot and was up in this, this uh, high level with Aquinas, um, the, the, the hostess, hosts and hostesses would always seek me out as I boarded the plane. Welcome back, Mr. Pomery. Would you like some champagne? What newspapers would you like to... They'd reach over Louis when she traveled with me. Excuse me, woman. Uh, That'll serve you for not taking my surname. If you had my surname, they would have connected the dots. But you were just some peasant Italian girl. So they would lean across Louis. I kid you not. Lean across Louis. Oh, Mr. Pomery, welcome back. 
<coughs> excuse me, excuse me, you're in the way. Mr. Primary, welcome back. Would you like some champagne? What newspaper would you like? Can we manicure or pedicure your nails and, and on your hands and feet? Louis like, oh, great, yeah, great, you know. But true story, happened many times. But Marcus, I, in, unlike Louis, see, but Marcus, I said, I introduced him to the, to the, to the uh, cabin crew. Uh, this is actually one of my staff, Marcus. Um, he's not my wife, so you, you know, here, Marcus. So, and so Marcus got, 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 got the love as well. He got a lot of love on the, uh, on the uh, uh, Sydney LA flight. And then you have to uh, transit again. And LAX is like, it's the armpit of the airports of the world. But anyway, uh, again, we had lounge access. So Marcus didn't see the dark side of, uh, of LAX. It's the first and last time I've ever been actually conned out of some money by some shyster there. It's another story for another time, but it um, happens a lot. And uh, so we're in the lounge there, and then we go, and we get... And t- now, Marcus arrived in, in, in Atlanta, having had a 36-hour birthday, having, having gone in and out of Qantas Club lounges, having had the, the, the staff... Uh, call him by name because he actually treated me with respect. Um, and, uh, and anyway. I have a sneaking suspicion that my day is going to feel like it's 36 hours long. But anyway. Whew. Yep. I'd be lucky if I even make it to economy. In the toilet and stay there. Uh, but I actually, you know, here's Marcus. I said, Marcus, mate, you are only experiencing all this luxury, all of these benefits, because I, I started way back in the back row next to the swinging flushing doors with no Qantas Club lounge, no anything. And just, you know, my longest flight was Orlando to Perth. It was 48 hours on the clock, 36 hours of commuting. Horrible, horrible stuff. You, you come back, you pass the date line. You wake up in the morning, the, the captain says to you, welcome, it's now two days later. Sorry if it was your birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, you know, you missed it. Guess you're not a year older. Jesus paid a price on our behalf. We don't actually have to pay that price. However, in response to the price he paid, and as an act of worship and as an act of service and, 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 and as a commitment to want to see his kingdom extended, we can't just be believers of convenience. Believers of convenience are part of a church, but they don't serve in their church. They don't give in their church. They don't pray for their church. They, they look at the list of options on a Sunday, and if nothing rises above the live experience, they're here. But if other things do, they're not here. And these are believers of convenience. And now, if that's you, if you're feeling a little awkward right now, I'm not saying these things to judge you and I'm not saying these things to guilt you into anything. But let me say to be a believer of convenience is not the, the gold standard that Jesus calls us to. And we're glad you're here at all, if that's you. But my encouragement is to, to take a next step. Take a step towards being a committed believer. Committed believer is the, is the people who responded to Jesus when he said, those who want to follow after me need to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. In other words, uh, which has famously become a movement uh, throughout the world, I am second. 
for people to actually declare, I am second. Jesus is first in everything. He's first with my bank account. He's first with my calendar. He's first with my words. He's first with my thought. He's first. I'm second. People, believers who are committed. And this is very much a pathway. You might start as a casual believer. You know, we call them CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. Move from there to a convenient believer. That's still a great step forward. But understand that's not the destination Jesus wants us to arrive at. It's a, it's a place he wants us to transit through and to ultimately become a committed believer. Someone that recognizes all that he's done. He died in my place. He rose from the dead. That requires my everything. Now I'm just going to unpack Somebody, the story of somebody who I think personifies a committed believer. It's a guy named Thomas. Now, some of you, when I, you know, maybe a bit, a bit of church background, you know a bit about this guy, Thomas. And actually, Thomas, his name's become a, a colloquialism in our culture. We, we refer to him as Doubting Thomas. You, anyone familiar with that expression? And we actually even use it to, to kind of, you know, have a go at someone. Oh, you're such a doubting Thomas, don't we? The problem is, Thomas is getting a bad rap. He's getting shafted when we call him doubting Thomas. There's a lot to be learned from Thomas. In fact, I'm going to actually show you over these next 10 minutes, he wasn't doubting Thomas. He was Thomas the committed believer. Here's a bit of Thomas's journey. Thomas, now, now Thomas was a fisherman. Grew up as a fisherman in the area around Jerusalem. In his day, the, the, the number one goal of, of schoolboys, of young boys, was to get headhunted and handpicked by a rabbi. It was like you know, making it into the AFL draft kind of thing and getting chosen to, to play for the team that you've always wanted to play for. And so rabbis would come through the schools of the day and they would look at these kids and they, and they would kind of, you know, and they would pick out the best, the best and the brightest to come and be their closest disciples, okay? Problem is Thomas went through school and didn't get picked. He didn't make the draft. And so he did the only thing he knew to do. He went back to his family's business of fishing. And, he, and there he was, basically thinking he'd missed the cut. Basically, basically thinking that, that, that he was the fisherman that John West rejected. And just went back there doing his thing like his family had done for generations. All of his hopes and aspirations of going f- forward in life, and I'm sure his parents' aspirations too, had been doused by the fact that he was overlooked by every rabbi up to that time. Until a guy named Jesus came along. And this guy named Jesus hand-picked Thomas from his life as a, as a fisherman to be one of his closest disciples, one of his hand-picked 12. And Thomas, we, we can't even begin to imagine, Thomas, in response to being picked having been overlooked by everyone else, picked by this rabbi named Jesus, Thomas left his fishing business. He left everything he knew behind. He left all of his safety, all of his security. He left, in fact, it probably would have made no sense to a lot of people, possibly even his parents, by the way, because Jesus wasn't promising a wage. 
you know, a job at the end of graduation. He would just said, come follow me. But Thomas did. Thomas did come follow Jesus. In fact, Thomas reoriented his entire life to follow Jesus. And throughout the three and a half years closely following Jesus, Thomas came to believe for himself that Jesus was who he said he was. Thomas came to believe firsthand, firsthand, not via someone, firsthand that Jesus was the Son of God. Thomas actually believed that. And then all of his hopes and dreams were dashed upon a cross. All of his hopes and dreams had seemed to have reached a dead end street when he saw this man that he'd given up everything to follow. This man that he'd put his entire faith in. This man that he believed was actually who he said he was, the son of God. Thomas stood like so many others looking at that man hanging on a cross no better and no different to two other thieves, two other criminals, two criminals hanging beside him. What's fascinating to me is Thomas, after that day of Jesus' crucifixion, Thomas disappeared for seven days. There was a lot of commotion going on amongst family, friends, and other followers. Thomas actually disappeared. And there's no account of why he disappeared, but I wonder if it was just he was absolutely so shattered and heartbroken that he couldn't even bring himself to be around the people that he'd been walking with for the last three and a half years. But then the seven days finished and Thomas did come back. And he heard what I just read. He heard what Luke had recorded. He heard that some of Jesus' closest followers had found an empty tomb and that angels had appeared to them and said, don't be afraid, don't worry, he's not dead, he's risen. And here's what Thomas said. And by the way, don't titch titch him when you read this because I wonder how many of us would have said the very same thing. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. And that's why we call him Doubting Thomas. Oh, Thomas. Gosh. Oh, ye of little faith. You know, I'm going to show you this morning. I, I, I actually think Thomas had probably the greatest faith of all of these people. Great faith often starts with great doubts. Some of the people with the greatest doubts, they have the greatest doubts and they're willing to go on record as having the greatest doubts because they are seekers of truth. This question of is Jesus risen is not a question the majority of the Australian population are asking right this very moment on our planet. They're not. And I'm not judging them for that, but they're not. This isn't the question they're wrestling with. Thomas, at least to his credit, wrestled with that question, is Jesus risen? He wasn't willing to take anything on anyone else's face value. He wanted the truth and he wanted it for himself. Great faith often begins with great doubts. In fact, some of the greatest atheists in the world, which by the way, Paul was not an atheist as if he didn't believe in God, but an atheist if he didn't believe Jesus was the son of God. 
But history is continued to roll on with these prominent, outspoken atheists. The more that they, they sought to disprove God, the more they found truth. It's one of life's great axioms is that time and truth walk hand in hand. There's an English philosopher named Anthony Flew. Died in 2010. Pete, you would have read some of his stuff, presumably. Really? You're British and you're into philosophy. Mark 1, Pete, donut. Um, He was one of the, 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 he was a philosopher, British philosopher, one of the most outspoken atheists on the planet. And the more he pursued this uh, accusation of, of, of God doesn't exist, he actually, before his death, came to write a book about the existence of God, that he had discovered God is absolutely true, uh, undeniably true. There was a, uh, one of the advisors to pre- President Nixon, I am not a criminal, yes, that one, um, named Charles Colson, one of uh, President Nixon's advisors, was, was very heavily embedded in the Watergate scandal and in fact got sent to prison uh, as, a, as a result of his involvement with the Watergate scandal. Charles Colson, a.k.a. Chuck Colson, during his time in prison, because people started sharing about Jesus to him, actually became a follower of Jesus and went on to found uh, prison fellowship ministries, which is now international, uh, write many books about Jesus. And, And that's the thing. He didn't want anything less than the truth. There's another famous atheist, a guy named C.S. Lewis, who, if you're under the age of 30, uh, I'll key you in. He's the guy that wrote the, 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 the Narnia Chronicles, which have started to be made into movies. He was a prominent atheist. One of his most incredible works, and I absolutely say it's a must-read while you're on this planet, is a book called Mere Christianity. It was written by a guy who was a prominent atheist. Great faith often starts with honest doubts. God says, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So a week later... His disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, you know, I just See, I love this. Jesus had heard about the fact that Thomas had said, Unless I see him for myself, unless I can you know, put my fingers in it. Wouldn't it have been so cool to have been Jesus when you heard that? Huh, Thomas is doubting me. <laughs> That's going to be so cool when I show up and yeah, and he gets to do it. How awesome is it? Jesus isn't afraid of our questions. He's not afraid of our doubts. He's not afraid of the pursuit of truth. If we only half pursue the truth of Jesus because we think somehow he's going to get offended, Jesus has got nothing to hide. Thomas, so this is what he says to him. Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and reach out your hand and and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Great faith often starts with great doubt, but that doubt needs to trigger the pursuit of truth needs to trigger the pursuit of God, needs to trigger the pursuit of God in such a wholehearted fashion that nothing less than the reality of Jesus working in each and every area of our lives becomes normal. 
And that's what Thomas wanted. I gave up everything for this man. If he is not risen from the dead, then I just wasted three and a half years of my life. I left my family's fishing business. People told me I was an idiot. If Jesus hasn't risen, then all of that was worthless. That's why Thomas asked the question. I need to know. I need to know that this is true. I need to know that Jesus is real. I need to know. I need to know. And guys, we need to actually model ourselves after Thomas in that regard. For us to pursue truth, not just to grandfather it in because our grandparents were Christians, not to, to parent it in because, you know, I'm, I go to church because my mom and dad went to church. No. Our relationship with Jesus needs to become personal. It needs to become ours. It needs to be birthed out of this idea that I am going to pursue Jesus and his truth and and accept nothing less. And so Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. my Lord and my God. That needs to be the words on our lips every minute of every day in every aspect of our lives. Jesus, not just my friend, not just someone I pray to prayer to. Jesus isn't someone just to be accepted or invited in. My Lord and my God. Now, the Bible doesn't actually record much of Thomas from that moment on, but historians actually did. And Thomas continued from that day forward to orient his life to declaring the truth that Jesus did rise from the dead. Thomas wasn't following a belief pattern, he was an eyewitness. And whilst you and I weren't eyewitnesses to that 2,000 years ago, we can actually trust the veracity of the writers. We can actually trust this account that this happened, that Jesus rose from the dead, and Thomas is an eyewitness to that happening. Thomas went on to orient every aspect of his... He didn't end with the resurrection. It actually was a springboard to him going from that place... In fact, history recorded that Thomas was uh, threatened with death if he didn't deny Jesus. If he didn't say, no, that's right, Jesus isn't who he said he was. Jesus was a fraud. And I wasn't really believing in him. I was just, you know, you've got to do something with your days. They threatened Thomas with death. If you don't deny Jesus, if you don't actually acknowledge Jesus wasn't the son of God, didn't rise from the dead, we'll kill you. And doubting Thomas refused to deny Jesus. Doubting Thomas refused to say Jesus wasn't who he said he was. He stood by that claim and he gave his life for that claim. He was killed for the crime 
of declaring that Jesus was the Son of God. Now, we live in Australia. It is not just a lucky country. It's a blessed country. We still, for now, are allowed to practice our faith. By the way, there was a pastor just last week of a church in Arizona who's been arrested and thrown in jail for holding a, a, what we would call an elevate group in his living room. So don't think that persecution couldn't come your way. But I'm actually not even asking that question this morning. I'm going to ask this question. Thomas died because of who Jesus was in his life. I just want to know, and I think God wants to know, whether we're willing to live because of who Jesus is in our life. But live in such a way that we actually do die to ourselves. We actually do put our personal preferences on the back burner. We actually do deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. We actually, like Thomas did before Jesus' death and resurrection, and then even more after Jesus' death and resurrection, we actually orient every aspect of our lives to follow him. Move from casual believer through convenient believer to become committed believers. That's the gold standard. That's what we're called to. Nothing less. Nothing short of that. It's okay to have doubts. Let them be a starting point. If that's where you're at, that's fine. Let them be a starting point. But let them be honest. Not Aussie cynical. I bet. Not God, if you're real, I want to know you. If this is true, I want to know it for myself. God's not afraid of that. Yeah, he hides a little bit because he wants to know if you really want to find him. The most precious treasures, the most valuable things on the planet are valuable because they're the hardest to come by. Part of God's worth, part of God's value is demonstrated in the fact that he's not easy to come by. He wants to be known. He wants to reveal himself, but there's something that we're called to do. He spoke it through the prophet Jeremiah. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's the box we have to tick And in response, God reveals himself. This morning, maybe some of you, you've never actually put yourself in the position where you've said, God, I want you to reveal yourself to me. I I actually want to know you. I want a relationship with you. Like Thomas, you want to know the truth. And you're here this morning. I'm glad you're here this morning. We want to give you an opportunity right here, right now, for you to personally declare to God, to Jesus, like Thomas did, Jesus I want to make you my Lord and my God from this day forward. Right now, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. And I just want to, you know, it's simple, but the simplicity isn't meant to overshadow the enormity, the importance, the significance of this idea that you and I get to make a personal decision to make Jesus our Lord and our God in our lives. If you've never done that, This morning, I want to encourage you to do that, to say, Jesus, I want to follow you like Thomas did. I want to to acknowledge who you are like Thomas did, and I want to declare that you are my Lord and my God like Thomas did. If, If that's you this morning, if you've never made that decision, I want you to put your hand up. And just by putting your hand up, that's your declaration. Jesus, I want to acknowledge you're my Lord and my God. When I see your hand, you can put it down, and then we're just going to pray a prayer. So just, just I want to take a moment or two 
to give you the opportunity. If you've never made that decision for yourself, make that decision now. I strongly encourage you. Just slip your hand up. You say, Jesus, I acknowledge you this morning as my Lord and my God. And when I see your hand, you can put it down. And we're going to pray. Great. Okay, you can put your hand down. Who else? <clears throat> Let's pray. I'm going to say a little sentence, and I want you to all repeat this uh, sentence as your prayer. Repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, my Lord and my God, thank you for coming to earth. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for rising again. Thank you for revealing yourself to me. Today, I declare you are my personal Lord and God. And I commit to follow you, not casually, not conveniently, but in a committed manner. To take up my cross, to deny myself, to be second, to place you first. In Jesus' name, amen. How about we celebrate with that person that raised their hand this morning? Fantastic. Look, this is challenging stuff, okay? To be able to, you know, to, to get to this place of, of, of being a committed believer, we never ever actually cross the finish line until we get to meet Jesus face to face. But let that be the journey. Continue to follow Jesus. Continue to make him known. Our relationship with Jesus is personal, but it's not meant to be private. And so we want to see not just one person make Jesus their Lord and Savior. We want to see thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Why? Because that's what God wants to see. And we want to be used by him for that. Guys, we're going to continue this theme, Doubt is Anonymous. Uh, we're going to look at some of these uh, topics. This is like the news flash up here on the screen. Woman claims God healed her of cancer. What about the rest of us? See, we ask some of these questions. Sometimes we don't think we do, but we do. You know, tsunami kills thousands. Was God taking a break? Why do bad things happen to good people? Ever ask that question? Well, we're going to look at some of this stuff over the next few weeks. This great faith often begins with great doubts. Grab some coffee. The coffee this morning... Cuban Serrano. It is lovely, actually. I had to bring a different cup. The cup I've been using recently is so good, it keeps the beverage hot for seven hours. So I pour it at 9 a.m. and drink it at 2 p.m. But it's like, you know, so it's just ornamental. But this morning, I got to sip it. So I can actually say it's nice. So coffee here. Look for someone you don't know. Make them feel welcome. And have a great faith-filled week.